The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Rebel Podcast, P. Nate, Elder P, AJ, Graj Mahal. It's all happening today. Who are you trying to channel? I I was, <laughs> I, I, I'm I, hearing Phoebe singing, uh, singing Smelly Cat. <laughs> that was not what I was going with. I was going for sage-like. Okay. Like, like sage-like? wise, like yeah. Gandalf-style um, Fair enough. intro. Um, I feel like we do the intro. It just sounded so high. You just, you just, you just sounded high. Let me assure everybody he is not. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing I can say, like, even before I was saved, I never got into drugs. Never once. Um, I think one time I was at a party where there was enough people doing that. I think I was hotboxed. You, you like, inhaled secondhand like, marijuana Can you do that? What politician was that? Was that, uh, was that Trudeau? Who was like, I, I was at, who, oh man, I, I would butcher good, it. So. I won't say his name. A good friend of ours recently, I think this happened to him. We were in a conversation with a guy downtown and that guy was like puffing this like huge joint. I don't know the right words. Puffing? Is that a thing? <laughs> and like my friend is a bit of like, was kind of like close talking to him because it was like, it's loud downtown. And, he was, and, and like later in the night, he kept like stepping into traffic and like, there was like, he was like more, he was more giddy than he normally is. And I was like, and I, and I all of a sudden had this mo- moment of like, I, th- I think he's secondhand high. Like by us, like as we were trying to evangelize, this guy's got like, and I was just like, it's the funniest okay, thing. Okay. When the mics turn off, I have to find out who you're talking about because I'm picturing, knows, but, uh, uh, cause I'm picturing all of our street evangelism <laughs> team and it's hilarious. My mind is, is uh, uh, having some fun right now. Okay. So I forgot this last time, but uh, we're the rebel podcast and, uh, uh, we are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network, the Canadian side, and uh, we're thankful to be a part of that network. It's great. All right. I'm going to jump right into this because this is part two of, uh, of something, and I don't want us to go as long, but I did want to run something by you guys. So I just literally saw this as we were firing up the microphones. It makes it sound like you have to rev them up like an engine. Yeah, that's not true. But Dave's got a generator. Just so so I'm looking at this uh, this little video on Twitter of Bill Gates and UCAD. I don't know what that is. UK aid. Yeah, it's probably UK eight. Oh, oh man, I'm an idiot. <laughs> and anyway, Bill Gates is talking about how the Gates Foundation is working with the equivalent of the FDA over in the UK in order to approve a vaccine for animals. And he gives two reasons for it. He says, number one, he wants to make it so that the animals are less likely to pass on, right? Coronavirus comes from animals, right? Diseases to humans. And then number two, all he says, it's very vague and, and dark, but he just says, in helping with the food supply. Like, what? Bill Gates is the last guy I want dabbling with the food I'm eating. Yeah, let, me, <laughs> let me throw out one. I think, like, I think I'm unapologetically going to say this. I think Bill, Cri- Bill, Bill, <laughs> Bill Gates, I, that's the second time I've done that. Bill Gates 
literally is the worst human alive, I think. Like, he might be the worst man alive. You can get mad at me for saying that. I think he's a terrible human. Second thing is, like, if he's worried about the food supply, why is he the largest landowner of farmland in the United States right now? He's bought hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of acres over the last 10 years and does nothing with them. He lets them sit empty. So if he's worried about food supply, he could farm America. He's bigger than anybody else. He is the largest landowner. You can fact check that. That's true. Like the guy does not care about us at all. He doesn't care about. No, he cares about population control. Exactly. Like at the end of the day. So that's what the, that like, that's where I was going with that. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to drive down the food amounts that are out there for people. In order to, to starve people. Is that what you would literally say? Do you think that's like actually. Yeah. I, I, I pretend I, I, I'm Joe Rogan right now. I'm asking you, I'm asking you this. You, you, yes, really, you really believe that? I literally believe he's, he wants to depopulate the earth and. If you want to depopulate, you want to start a, a trend to make people stop having children, stop living. What do you do? You, you kill old people. That's in place now. You kill babies. Well, that's been in place for a long time in the, in the United States. And then what do you do? Well, you kill off the useless feeders. You know what I mean? The people who couldn't afford food and you make it harder and harder to obtain the thing that needs to. Right. to so the point there's where just elites left. It's people like him who don't have to worry about what meat costs at a store or what, whatever to end up being the thing, which is why one so important for churches to get self-sufficient from the government as soon as possible. Um, but two, it's like, mm -hmm. a, yeah, I literally think that this is what he's trying to do. He wants to systematically make us dependent on the state for our food, for our everything, and systematically get us to stop populating and all that stuff. Because he, he ultimately, at the end of the day, thinks that's what's going to save the world. And I don't think he cares because it doesn't affect him at all. You know what I mean? Like, so you don't think that all the land he has is just to let the reptilian politicians run around? <laughs> 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 Sorry, I, I just feel a bit spicy today. I didn't, don't even answer that. I'm Re good. <laughs> let me let me just say anybody who thinks I'm a massive conspiracy reptilian politicians and flat Earth is where I draw the line. Like, like oh man, no, people are just corrupt. Like, you know, there's no sorry, there's no I, I just, limit. you're on you're on a uh, you're on a roll there. I was I just get, uh, sorry. Your, your face was like shocked about how upset I was going to get a Bill Gates. Like, I literally yeah, I know you went off. Like, so I was just trying to kind of light lightheartedly uh, switch this around a little bit. So he, I, he's a, like yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was gonna say he's modern day Pharaoh. Like he's mm. he's got his heart in his heart to the point where like we pray for him, but like he is an enemy of the state. Like he is an enemy of the real state, the king, like the the kingdom of Christ. He I don't know what he what he thinks, what he believes, but like literally like, this man is out to crush humanity. Mm. Like I I don't think he's alone. Like I think there's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, Can I ask a question? Like when did two things happen in our in our culture that I think need to be eradicated right away? Number one is when did we start caring what somebody who made a computer thinks about healthcare and totally. all this stuff like that's like, like the same with like why do i care what an actress thinks about global warming like, like, like who cares like, shut up and and like when like when did celebrity become i'm related to somebody who actually did something famous makes me famous the paris hilton idea of the world like where she's <laughs> well like, that's where it started you just I, I nailed it i think like, but i mean like what was that she why, had a do, reality we why show, do we right? care about the kardashians i don't need to keep up with the kardashians i want the kardashians to shut up like <laughs> this is like, fiery today <laughs> no i just mean like like our society lives in this world that like we that their opinion has more valid than somebody who's actually done something what is interesting though is is i think but therein lies this issue where so, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make this, uh, I'll make this biblical too. You know, one of the things that people marveled at with Jesus teaching was he taught as one who had authority. And part of the reason was because, uh, rabbis in the first century, they were always quoting other rabbis. It was always about like, which school of thought are you in, in terms of the interpretation of the law and the Talmud and all this, which was all, you know, it, it hadn't been compiled yet, but it was all the rabbinical teachings. It was the law of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
So people marveled at Jesus because he taught by his own authority, right? He just said things. And it's interesting because in this COVID era that we've lived in, like how often did you hear you got to trust the experts? They're just these faceless. And, and why is Bill Gates one of them? Like, why are we listening to Bill Gates about who should get vaccinated and what we should do with our, our population and, and what's going on with the environment and all this kind of stuff? Like, and so it seems as though what qualifies you as an expert is just being elite. Right. Just just an elitist mindset of like and and I think that the left has done a very good job of making sure that nobody other than leftists become, quote unquote, elite. And so they're always asking whether they're actually they'll gladly go to Hollywood. They'll gladly go to doctors. They'll gladly go to politicians. They'll gladly go places as long as they're part of their kind of leftist elitist regime, I, I would say. So it is interesting that there's this like. The idea that people can think for themselves is totally lost. And, and even during the pandemic, I, I was told many times by Christians, you need to trust the experts. You don't know what you're talking about. And I would just say, like, it's interesting that even when, when Paul, who I'd say is an expert on the law, <laughs> taught in the Areopagus or taught, he commended the Bereans for going home. They were, they were called godly because they went home and searched the scriptures to see for themselves whether these things were true. There's a virtue in Christendom for being able to figure things out on your own. And and we've totally lost that in our culture. We don't want any personal responsibility for decisions or any of that kind of stuff. We just want somebody else to tell us what to do. Insecurity runs rampant in our, yeah, in our society where it's like the only people who are seemingly truly secure are the people who, who like, let's be honest, society collapse, Bill Gates is probably fine. You know what I mean? Right. He's got enough money to get away to whatever, whatever the scenario would be. He's put his brain in a jar and live forever. <laughs> cryo freeze himself <laughs> and like, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Whereas like, there's an insecurity of like everybody else where it's like, well, they, there's somebody that they're dependent on and all these things. And at the, at the root of that, like there's that idea of like, well, I don't want to say anything because if I get canceled or if I do anything, I'm, I'm not secure enough in myself. I don't like to say these things. Whereas Christians Paul was secure going up and saying what he what he said because he he was secure that he knew the scriptures well enough that yeah fact check it it's right I'm correct and I'm willing to be challenged if I'm wrong so much so that I'm secure enough with you going and fact checking me because like I'm not defensive about it I'm I'm totally fine with you go home and check what I've said is right and there's there's that like freedom of being like secure which our society has lost we've had this conversation without microphones turned on where it's like one of the reasons that we would believe we may have even said it in our episode on um, optimistic eschatology where part of the reason christians are losing the culture war is because most christians aren't post-millennial but all pagans are right so like justin trudeau is a dominionist right justin trudeau is a is a post-millennialist he yeah. believes Cli- that he climate will change's win the outcome world. is a utopia right you know what I mean? like, so, but th- but that's what i was going to say is like okay so what is the utopia that a guy like Bill Gates has in his mind. Like, it's just baffling to me. Like, it's this underpopulated, childless, androgynous, global, cricket-eating... You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's just baffling to me. Like, his utopia sounds like my hell. I think we're looking at it kind of wrong. I don't think... I think Bill Gates's utopia is him living exactly how he... Is li- exactly living exactly how he wants. Forever. Eating steak, eating Eternally, all these things. Right eternally living how he wants and the rest of us eating crickets eating like this is super nerdy and i'm sorry 
there's an X Men villain named Apocalypse who believes yes. in the, in the who believes in the like. Don't age. apologize for that. Yeah. <laughs> this is glorious. I was mostly apologizing to our listeners, not you two. Um, but like the idea of like Apocalypse's end game was survival of the fittest played out in yeah. society where he was at the top and the elites were the elites and everybody else was in camps. And serving. hot take: Apocalypse is a better version of uh, Thanos. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. The Age of Apocalypse storyline in X Men is amazing. Agreed. Even better um, than Infinity Wars. Continue. It was so good. I stopped reading comic books after it was released. I was that's, like, that's, that's actually pretty that's, hardcore. That's, <laughs> that's the top. That's the pinnacle. Anyway, um, <laughs> side note, his utopia, I think that is what Bill Gates is. That's Darwinism played out to the fullest. Right. Survival of the fittest doesn't mean that I'm the last man standing. It means I'm, I'm the fittest. Food chain. You serve me. Yeah. It's a, I've supplanted the real king. Right. It's Nimrod played out in our, in mm-hmm. our real world. I'm going to build a tower. I'm going to build a kingdom that's so good that it's an affront to the real Lord because Romans 3 tells us that they know God exists. They just suppress it, which they're trying to put themselves on that throne. You know what's interesting is I, I'm thinking back to some early, because Bill Gates was like, when when we were in high school, which is a number of years ago, Chris, Bill Gates was big on like, he did a lot of workshops and, and like he never came to my school, right? <laughs> you and I were pretty poor, <laughs> but like, um, but like they would show videos of him talking to teenagers and all this kind of stuff. And like, he would often talk about how nerds are the new might, right? And how, and, and all this kind of stuff, like, like now brain power is, is what makes you mighty. And it is interesting that you're talking, like, it's almost like he believes his intelligence makes him the the new apex predator, right? That it's not. Yeah. We see this all through TV and all and movies. There was a time, remember when, like, if you go back and watch movies from the seventies and sixties, the popular kid in school was the the star quarterback athlete who yeah. got the who got the pretty girl. He wasn't an idiot. He wasn't just a dumb jock. But then all of a sudden, throughout time, and like the show that always sticks in my mind is the OC, where all of a sudden, like. The villain, Seth Cohen, or whatever, like the the nerd Seth Cohen, is the guy who wins in the in the end. And it's not like this idea of like, oh well, he's equal. It's like no, like they they started to portray the nerd is the cool guy. He's the one like the the insecure little wussy guy is the cool one now. Mm. And all the dumb jocks, the ones that are strong and muscular and good at sports, they're all idiots. And right. the narrative started to change where it's like. We see this play out in tons of other shows after, yeah, after yeah. that, right? Well, technology like, is the thing that changed that. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. I read a book, Absolutely. and it was, a, I think it was called Coders, and it was saying how, like, coders run the world. Right. Right. They can make you think that the thing you're seeing on your screen is is what you're seeing, but it's not actually. And that was, like, a crazy thing. Like, you're looking at your bank account, and sees, you see money in it. Yeah, so a programmer wants you to think that you see money in your bank account. You'll think that it's there, but it's gone. So it's like a guy like Bill Gates, because of his mastery or control of technology, he can be the alpha because he can control your bank account. He can control what you're doing, what you're seeing. He knows everything about you. So you have seen a complete fundamental shift of who is the alpha in society. Man, okay, so this isn't the conversation we want to have at all. So just cut me off if you don't want me to go down this this bunny hole anymore. But what's interesting about that is, did did you guys both read In the House of Tom Bombadil? Yep, yep. Okay, the chapter where he's talking about magic was so powerful. So he's talking about incantation and, and words as magic and, and the, the bending of reality. And, and what made Soromon so devious was that he used language in a way that bent reality, right? That's what his incantations did. And it's sort of this perversion or the subversion of the creation, the way God created the world. He spoke words and they came into existence. And so magic is this sort of subversion of the creative power of God. Anyway, really brilliant chapter in a way that C.R. Wiley can do and and all of us just grasp at. But uh, so it's interesting you say that. So as you're describing Bill Gates, it's like you said his mastery sort of of technology. It's almost like technology is the the magic of our time, Mm 
right? So so he's like the the dark wizard, right? He's the wizard that like you know, and, and I just had this mental picture of like like Christians trying to reclaim biblical masculinity and strength and heroism, like going to battle with the the weak but but powerful and dangerous dark sorcerers of our time. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it's just this, so, it's, it's really interesting. So and they're they're waging battle with this this these dark arts, right? And and you think of how much Silicon Valley like paints public perception and all this kind of stuff. It's like it's not untrue when you think of like the cosmic war that Christians are facing that we are battling the sort of the magic realm of of mm-hmm. social media and coding and and internet and technology. It's it's just an interesting way to think of things. That's very interesting. The analogy I now have in my head is Bill Gates is is Sauron when Zuckerberg is Voldemort. Like, so like, it's like, he's a little lesser. He's like, not as quite as good, yeah. but like, um, like he's still in the realm of bad wizard. Um, like, That's funny. um, uh, where's Bezos? Yeah. <laughs> what was the, the name of the dwarf and the white witches? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? I, I, I had a moment. I said his name and all of a sudden I'm like, one, can they sue us? And then two, I was like, will he cancel my Prime account? Because <laughs> like, I rely on that for books. Um, yeah, that's true. So, oh, man. Um, so what we actually wanted to talk about today after that uh, interesting uh, meandering is we want to pick up our conversation from last time on worship. Sort of our big idea was that worship is warfare. Worship is about God, not about us. And sort of this paradigm shift of, of thinking about what the Sunday morning corporate gathering is. It's not about my personal time to connect with Jesus. It's actually about the collective church, the ecclesia, the assembly, the called out ones coming and worshiping God as he prescribed. And one of the things I, I didn't say last time that kind of came to me after the fact is this is actually the pattern, however you understand Revelation. I think we've been pretty clear on how we understand Revelation. But however you see Revelation, there's this juxtaposition between things that happen in the heavenlies, and then convulsions on the earth, right? So worship of the Lamb in the heavenlies results in these convulsions on the earth. And so what happens on in heaven affects the earth. And that's what we're saying is that we are whisked up as God's covenant people. As we gather together, we are brought in Christ before the throne room of grace. We worship God as he's ordained, and then we are scattered back into reality onto the earth right? Because the church is like the embassy of heaven. So we're brought back down, go off into our individual lives as those changed individuals carrying the worship of God into our workplaces, etc. And that's one of the primary ways in which God brings about change in the world. One of the other ways we see this is that um, in Ezekiel 37, when God gives Ezekiel a vision of the temple, it shows these four rivers that I think are meant to, to symbolize the four rivers running out of Eden, it says it goes and it waters the earth and wherever the water from the temple flows out into the four corners of the earth, life is given. So there's this idea that the worship that flows out of the church into the culture actually affects the culture, affects the world, which is why we think we need to get worship right. One of the things that we would also believe because we believe that is that then what happens in the church affects the culture. I think you already said it uh, when you're talking about euthanasia and, uh, and abortion, but like we saw a lack of respect for the elderly in the church. And as that mindset trickles out through those rivers into the culture, we see euthanasia. 
and so what, one of the things I want to start our conversation with today is, is one that uh, an area where I think we all wanted to get last week, and that is something that we do distinctly at Crossroads, and we think we do it because of a, a conviction from uh, the Word of God, is family-integrated worship. Children are in the service with us. We don't have Sunday school. We don't have kids' programs. Um, Sunday morning worship is for the entire family. And, uh, and we're passionate about that. It's not easy, right? Jordan, you got a bunch of young kids like I do, and mm-hmm. some Sundays are better than, than others. But it's not easy. And it's one of those things, actually, one of our elders was telling us um, about this new family that kind of came in, and they're, they're struggling with their young kid. And, and they kind of went up to Corey and kind of said, oh, I don't think I named him before. But anyway, they, they went up to Corey <laughs> and was, was kind of like, like with a tick, like <laughs> their, their eyes twitching, like, where, where, where's the Sunday school, right? Like, I, I think it's hard. It, it doesn't make it easy for new people to come in and visit the church because people aren't used to it. But we believe that we do it because Scripture uh, compels us to. I would say, so I don't know if you guys agree with me, I would actually say one of the reasons, not the primary reason, not the only reason, but I would say one of the reasons we see abortion happening in the culture is because we have not valued our children within the worship of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're spot on. It's fallacy to think that what happens in the church doesn't affect what happens in culture So because, because culture is the report card of the church. So what That's we right. see outside our doors... Is that the Van Til? Ru- Van Til said, said Bonson? Somebody. One of those guys. Somebody. 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 In our society, we have to value them in, in the midst right. of our congregation. If we want to see elderly people treated well dignity, and good and with yeah. dignity at the end of their lives, we need to treat them that way in our midst. Simply put, with family integration, it isn't easy. I don't have any kids and it's hard for me. There's things happening all the time. <laughs> but it's one of those things like, well, I would never expect to go to your home for a meal on a Sunday night and you to, sh- you to shun your kids to the basement so that the adults can have private time. Like, that's just not a thing I would expect from you. I would expect your kids to be at the at the dinner table with yep. me. They're part of the family. Trying to pick things off my plate. Like, yeah, they, <laughs> they th- do. Yeah. Thankfully, they've learned I bite. But I mean, like, um, <laughs> like, but I mean, like that's just because we're family. When we come to Sunday morning, I expect to get run into by a, by a child who I don't know their name. Like, yeah. and my, my response isn't like, get away from me, you little kid. It's like, who are you? And who's your parents? Like, <laughs> um, Why are like, you running into me? Are you bleeding? Did I hurt you? But I mean, like, it's just, that's just how it is at our church. And there are going to be people from, I think, a sinful pride and sinful selfishness of how they prefer church to be done that are not going to be comfortable with it. Okay, but this is how we think scripture says to do to do church because, like, there is no... Correct me if I'm wrong. I can't. I've never seen a verse in the Bible where it says send your kids into a into a Sunday school program, to a children's program, segregate the family. It's 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 the the implication in, in all that is the household is together. Yeah. So, I think that's in Third Corinthians somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. In fact, I would say the opposite. I would say that whenever we see the people of God assembled, it makes note, and the details of Scripture are important. It is men and women and children. Mm-hmm. And and that happens in the Old Testament whenever God's people are assembled, right? Whether it's worshiping him on his holy mountain, whether they're called out into the wilderness to worship him, when they cross the Red Sea and, and Moses breaks out into song, it makes a, a point of saying that whenever Israel was gathered or Judah was gathered in times of... Last week, I, I read the story of Jehoshaphat. So you could see the same thing in, uh, I think it's Second uh, Kings 19 with Hezekiah. So you, you look at that when people of God assemble, you look at uh, the book of of Ezra, right? When when they rebuild the temple, you look at Nehemiah after the walls are built, what happens? Everybody comes together and, and the text makes note 
the men and the women and the children, all the families are together. When, it, when God gives the commands for his festivals, it's the men and the women and the children. Even in the New Testament, you see Jesus is gathering and he feeds, we often call it the feeding of the 5,000. But Matthew's gospel makes a point of saying 5,000 men plus women and children. There's probably more like 20,000, 25,000 people there that Jesus fed. And so it makes note of these things, right? Peter, when he stands up at the day of Pentecost and he's he's calling people to repentance and faith, and he talks about this, this being promises for them and for their children. In Ephesians, when Paul is writing to the gathered assembly, the church, he gives instructions to fathers, to mothers, to husbands, to children, to slaves, to masters, right? So everybody's included, which means that there was an expectation that the children were there as Paul's letters are being written when the church is gathered for assembly. It says, children, you know, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So the overwhelming testimony of the Bible is that when God's people gather, it includes children. And then you have the very specific things that Jesus says, where he says, if anybody who would cause any of these children who have faith in me to stumble, it's better for a millstone to be tied around their neck and thrown into the ocean. And the word that he uses there is for young children. And even when the, when it's, the disciples are, are kind of shooing away the kids saying, you know, there's no time for, Jesus doesn't have time for you. You're not as important as the others. You know, you don't deserve his time. Jesus rebukes them and he says, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. So I, the overwhelming testimony of scripture is that we ought to look at children as a blessing. And when the church gathers, children are present. Amen. Amen. That's right, it. That's the episode. <laughs> well, I, I guess even just like for me coming to it, I think it's probably worth our yeah. experience. And, you know, I've got four kids. We are thankful that we do at least do the nursery for our youngest because it's a lot. <laughs> he, he, even so maybe there's churches out there that you're more hardcore than us. God bless you. Yeah. But, but like my son, who's it's not just, a point of pride. No, we're not, just, we're not boasting. No, about it's the, just yeah. like a, my son is just over years. Like <clears throat> it would be almost impossible for us to even think about what is being preached or, or anything. So anyways, all that to say, we have our three young kids there and it was difficult at first. And I think we talked to most people and they say, yeah, it's difficult, but you know, we've been out at the church for, I think just under a year and our girls. So we have a six year old, a five year old and a three and a half year old, something like that. Not one of them in the last 10 months have complained about being in the service. Yeah. They're used to it. They love yeah. singing. They stand up, they sit down. I mean, like we give them little crafts and stuff or like coloring, coloring sheets, stuff to yeah. do. But at first it felt daunting, but in very short order, it was not hard at all. And anybody that I've spoken to who's made the change, because like we have a number of people from our old church that are, are with us as well. And, you know, same thing where just friends who they were reluctant to come because of that. But then now that they've been there for a little bit, doesn't bother them at all. Yeah. And even like for myself, just in preaching occasionally, I actually don't even notice the kids. Yeah. And absolutely. part of that is because like, most of my work, like my career, I work at home, uh, I work uh, my office is out of my house. So I got to tune my kids out at home just by default. So <laughs> yes. sometimes that can be a problem, but yeah. I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> but even like, I think it was one time when we were at Clark road, a couple kids came down and were like literally playing with something right in front of me. And you were like, Oh no, what's, <laughs> and I didn't even notice. Yeah. That it's was just, one of the first times you preached. Yeah. Actually, and I just yeah. didn't notice. Yeah. And it was just because like, we've gotten used to the fact, yeah, there's noises, there's kids, it's fine. Yeah. It's not a big deal. So it feels daunting, but right after you do it, just, it's now normal. I think there's two paradigm shifts that need to take place in people's minds in order for them to appreciate it. The first is like we said, I think you, you have to wrestle with the fact that I think this is what the Bible prescribes. We believe this is what the Bible teaches. And then number two is you have to look at children as a blessing. 
my father-in-law comes to the church, him and his wife, and they don't have kids. Obviously, their kids are grown. We'd hope so. We married them. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. Um, but <laughs> it's weird. Um, but it's interesting even talking to them because generally you have this mindset, and maybe this goes along with the sort of not honoring our, our elderly, but you know, you would think that some of those older people are the ones who would struggle with having kids in the service. And it's amazing when you talk to some of the older people in our church, they're actually the ones who say, this is what it was like when I was a kid, right? Because this is what churches used to do. And then and then I think we bought into the world system of this idea that that we need specialists to, to care for our kids, and we need specialists to do these various things. So I'll just ask a couple of questions then, and and uh, you guys can kind of answer them in terms of not so much objections, but what abouts. And so uh, one of the first questions I would ask is like, well, what about you know age appropriate teaching? Like, do you really think that the kids are getting anything from your sermon, Jordan? Well, I I will say from my kid again, my oldest is six. She's a little bit more cognitively capable than my other ones, but there have been times with. Probably most of my oldest two, six and five, who, yes, they're not engaging with every single thing being said, but they absolutely are noticing and listening. And when we talk about the sermon often after church, there's things there that they're like, oh, yeah, Pastor Nate said that. Or when we're at home and we're, you know, doing family worship or we're talking about something, they'll be like, oh, Pastor Nate said that. It's like, so it, it has been actually quite incredible to see even just like the little things. But I think even more important, for right now at their age, because they're not going to understand it entirely, is more the example that we're setting yeah, that's for them. Go with it. And, and I think it's just like our kids now see mom and dad worshiping that's, collectively that's right. with our church family. And I think that at this age is the more important thing, is that it normalizes seeing mom and dad submit to a, another man. Yep. Right? I think it's important for our kids to see that yeah, I am submitting to you as my pastor as you, and, and the elders, as they're the ones primarily going around distributing... Uh, the, the elements for communion. So I think there's just a lot of good stuff that our kids are actually witnessing us doing and not just missing out on entirely. That's where I think when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, you can't imitate Paul by just going and preaching at the... <laughs> like, you know I mean? like, like most people can't actually do that. Most people can't imitate Nate and go up and preach in the church. Like a handful of us get the privilege to do that. But like most people can't do that. But they can, like your kids can model you worshiping the king, as you stand up and raise your hands and sing songs, they witness you take communion. They witness you in submission. They witness you give. They witness all these like things that we do. Just they witness you sit in church and listen for those. Right? So they can, they become to imitators of you as you imitate what is proper and good doctrine in the church. Like, and so it's just, it's like, there's the the flaw in that argument of like, well, your kids aren't going to retain anything is like, well, no, they are. They're just going to retain totally different lessons than what you think. They might get yeah. one thing out of what Nate says right now, but they're going to watch me do the thing that I'm telling them is the most important thing in the world to do. That's right. I guess the thing that might be causing some people to have issues with that is they look at the Sunday service as the teaching opportunity in right. the week for their family. So it's like, yeah, 45 minutes of you up there where you're not doing things specifically for young children. It's like, yeah, that if that is the only time in the week they're being taught, yeah, that's probably not they the probably most age appropriate. They probably jealous. Right? Yeah. But it's like if at home, I mean, I've tried to sit and just read through a specific, like an individual or like a book of the Bible with my kids. Guess what? doesn't really happen, right? Yep. We, we do it slowly, but it's it's hard. So we use some tools that our, our kids find more engaging. They're still truthful, biblical tools and yep. and methods of teaching them, but and they engage with it way more. Sunday's not the only time during the week 
that they're yeah. being taught the Bible. Like, thankfully, my wife and I, we do that most days where we're spending time with them. So I can see, though, if that's not yep. something happening at home, then, yeah, it, it becomes less of a realistic way, if you will, of, of teaching your kids, if that's and, the only way. And I think that, that that brings up a good point, which is that I think family integrated worship also honors the way God designed family and spheres of authority. So I would consider myself the pastor of your kids, right? I, I still I will interact with your kids, and, and there's lots of the kids. I encourage them to draw pictures. There's every single week there's a, um, a girl in the congregation who's probably about, Gabriella is about maybe 11, and she brings a picture. She drew, draws a picture of me up on the, on the stage, usually with a speech bubble saying something. And she's like, did I really say that? <laughs> and so like the kids will draw me pictures, and they'll come up, and, and you'll see like after the service. And it's, it's interesting to watch because some of the newer people will come up, and sometimes they'll even interrupt my conversations with, with kids. And I'm always very careful to like just one moment and finish my conversation with the kid, like treat them like a person, because there is a sort of whether we do it intentionally or not, there's this sort of degrading children to a lesser part of our church family where adults think they can come up and interrupt, you know, a conversation I'm having with a, with a kid. But I, th- I think it's important that kids feel like, so even the fact that your kids at home will say, oh, I heard Pastor Nate say that. If we just sent them off to a Sunday school, would they associate me as their pastor, right? Would they feel like I am part of their spiritual development? And I don't think that would be the case. And so I I think that that's important for the kids to feel connected to a church because the alternative is you send them off to Sunday school, you send them off to children's programs, you send them off to junior high, you send them off to senior high. And by the time you send them off to university, they've never sat under an actual pastor teaching God's word on a Sunday morning. And then no wonder they walk away from the faith. But on top of that, when I say it, it honors the way that God designed the world and spheres of authority is also, though I am the pastor of your kids, primarily the number one shepherd of your children is you. You're the pastor of your family. And so what I'm doing and preaching to you is then giving you the responsibility that I think God has given to you to take what I've taught you and go and distill it to your children at the ages of six and, and five and three and one. And I think that that's something that like there's a responsibility and a heaviness to that. And I think once fathers get that when they come to Crossroads, it changes them and encourages them to kind of man up and bear responsibility in a different way that I think regenerate men respond well to. We've all gone to churches for a long enough time that like we even think about this external like oh if I want somebody to preach the gospel to my friend I'd bring them to church so that Nate can do it and it's like yeah. <laughs> no no like fundamentally the church exists like your role in the church is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, right? Yeah, like, that's right. Um, you're a trainer at best, right? So like just <laughs> destroyed wow, your career. Wow, okay. um, yeah, well. I'm in the same boat, yeah. uh, but like just less. The idea is like, we're, like the role of us is to equip the men and the women in our church to do the work of the ministry. Yeah. Which means like what you said was was great. Like Jordan brings his family to church. We, you equip Jordan to then go for and equip four other people who will then hopefully raise up families who equip like. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like that that fundamental paradigm shift of like this isn't just for me. This is for me to go do something. There's an action tied to every single person who comes to Crossroads on a Sunday. Yep. They play out what you say on Sunday into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right. Friday, Saturday, right? Like um, whereas too many people I think come to church in general and that's their Christian experience for the entire week. And then it's like, and now I live in the pagan world for the rest, and I come back and I get recharged. And it's like, yeah, there is a recharging that happens at, cross, at Crossroads every Sunday, but it's not that this should never be the- All you get. Yeah, the, like, yeah, this isn't the one meal you get every week, right? Yeah. Like this is maybe the heartiest meal, but it's not the only one. Right, right. So. yeah. 
I think that that trickles into a sort of value for kids in general that like Jordan was just preaching last week about uh, uh, children being weapons, right? Arrows in the quiver of a skilled warrior. And so the idea that that we would have you like leave your weapons at home <laughs> to come and be trained how to use them, right? Mm-hmm. Seems like a, an odd thing. And so there's all kinds of reasons for it, but I think w- the the general result that we've found, and we've been doing this uh, several years now, is that there's an overall value given to children where when we do dedications and when we do birth announcements and stuff at our church, like there is a joy. There's a genuine love and care for one another's kids. And I, I would say that one of the one of the results of this that has been most surprising but a massive blessing is just the way in which the the community of young moms with young kids has kind of really solidified. And I don't know where our family would be without that community. And I think that that's what happens when you value kids enough that they're welcomed in and they're a part of the church. And so suddenly there's this value given to them. And so the moms look and they say, everyone else here loves my kids enough to put up with their squirming and their fussing and they're asking questions. They're grinding Cheerios into the upholstery and the sanctuary and all that kind of stuff. And that subtly communicates to our kids that they are valued and loved. And this is a place that is home to them. And honestly, like we've all been to people's houses. Like I, I often joke when you go to somebody's house and it's more like a model home than a house, right? Or I would say more like a model house than a home. And there's this like apprehension. Like, I don't know if any of you have like a, a relative or something where you go with your kids, Jordan, and it's just like, you feel almost like, yep. can they touch anything here? Right. And you don't want that. I mean, you don't want the church to look like a, a pigsty either, but there's this idea that my kids aren't going to be comfortable in a place that they can't put fishy cracker crumbs all over, right? Like, And so there, there is something that's inadvertently and subtly communicated to them that they're wanted here. And I think that's a really important aspect that most churches don't have. Well, I think it also shows that like we are not in like the communist sense of raising kids as a commune, yeah, yeah. right? Because they, they want to take that responsibility away from parents. We're not saying that, but there is a sense in the covenant, God's covenant people, where we, we are raising children like the next generation together, yeah, right? Aunts and uncles and friends and like those who can have their own children and grandparents. We all need to do this and yeah. it's all needs to be an effort of the church. And I think that just comes back to it being a family. Absolutely. Right. And and that's where it's like, I'm not going to love your kids as much as my kids. That wouldn't be appropriate for me to love no. your kids as much as my kids, but I should love your kids because they are covenant, like they're in our church family. Yeah. So I think that's just one of the big things that's also missing is just that perspective that, no, we, we are doing this together as a family. Yeah. And it's funny because if you look at sort of the, uh, the church is the body of Christ, or the bride of Christ. And one of the things that, that Jesus came to do is to reverse the curse of sin. And so what sin has, has done to families is it's made broken families. So broken families through divorce, through death, right? Through accidental death, through disease. You have kids who grew up without grandparents, without aunts, without uncles. And so suddenly as the church involves itself in the task of reversing the curse, it's this amazing blessing that also like you said, those those families that can't have kids can experience what it's like to be motherly, what it's like to be fatherly, what it's like to care for children. You have the, that single mom who got saved after divorce or whatever, who whose kids don't have to grow up without a male 
father figure in their life. You have, you know, widowers who have support. You have like all of this stuff. You have, you have kids who grew up without their grandparents because of proximity, geography, ideology, or death, who have older people in the church who care for them and who will give them Werther's original candies and, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's a lady at the church who uh, my kids always called the candy lady because she always gave them candy every, every Sunday. And as much as I hated it, I loved it because they loved going and talking to the candy lady. So you just look at that stuff and you're like what sin has has tried to destroy the church coming together and actually being that family looks to restore and i think that's a beautiful aspect that we actually lose when we chop up families into different quote unquote age appropriate programs so all right we good there anything else i'm good i'm good so love the kids honor the old people do it do it yeah we can talk more about old people next time i like old people yeah and we should probably call them something other than old people. <laughs> I think that's probably good. Experienced aging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The experience. Closer the to wisdom glory. Of the yeah. Closer <laughs> to glory. So. That just sounds like, hey, you're going to die soon. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not call them that. Later, guys. Yeah.